0: Okay, who remembers last week? Who remembers in particular last Sunday? <laughs> I wasn't asking for a general sort of recollection. Last Sunday, we, we got to the peak, the pinnacle, if you like, of Paul's uh, message here in Galatians. The fact that we're children of God. That we... <laughs> Some people are excited about that, which is good to see. And we talked about the whole idea of being clothed in Christ and how that, that brings changes in our attitudes on several levels. Um, we talked about the fact that our primary identity is in Christ, that our relationship to Jesus is as close as the clothes that we're wearing. Uh, the fact that it's an imitation of Christ, to, to wear Christ is to actually be Jesus himself, or well, as close as we can get. And the other thing it shows us is that our acceptability God. If we're clothed in Christ, it's obvious that, you know, and it happens in human society, if we wear the right clothes, we're accepted by the people that we want to be accepted by. Sometimes that can be an unhealthy thing, uh, but in this case, of course, our acceptability of God is something we're all striving for, not recognizing that our striving actually doesn't do it, but being clothed in Christ does. So, that's pretty exciting because that brings us all as individuals closer to God. Who, I mean, who likes the idea of being closer to God? Who's on the other hand scared witless about the whole thing? Because you know, God, I mean, getting close to God is should, should be something we think about. We are not just getting close to somebody who's nice to us, but He has the power of life and death over every single one of us. He has He created the universe. It's, this, this person of God is not just some minor deity in a string of people, th- people or things that we believe in. This is God Almighty. It should, should make us think twice and think about what we need to do to be able to connect with God or why we should connect with God. I mean, is it just that God wants to hang out with us all individually? To some degree, yes. Yes. But he's got a purpose behind it. If we actually have a good relationship with God, guess who it changes? Us. It doesn't change God because the Bible tells us that he's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. So it changes us. So why would God want to change us just so that he could talk to us? I know some people I'd like to change so that I could talk to them. But I don't think that's God's purpose. His purpose is that we actually would do something with that relationship outside of that relationship. That relationship is a vertical one. Our relationship with God is, is, you know, we reach up to God, we see God as higher, we, 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 if we clothe, our, clothe ourselves, we pull God down to our level. But there's another direction, there's another dimension. And it involves us interacting initially with other Christians. Because other Christians are really wonderful people. They're the nicest people in the world. They'd, no Christian I have ever met has ever had any problems. They have never had any personality defects. They all look absolutely stunning and beautiful. There are no ugly Christians. They all have such sweet demeanors. It's incredible. So Christians all get on together. Every other Christian in the world loves... Haven't you noticed that? Oh, I'm in the wrong church. And I think this is what God has developed, this idea of a close relationship with him... To help us manage. Because naturally, we actually don't get on very well with other people. Even Christians. And yet we're called to go out into all the world and make disciples. We can't even agree amongst ourselves what a disciple is. And so, there's, there's a, Paul's here talking about a, a bigger picture that God has. Not just our relationship with him, but the outward working of the closeness of that relationship has got to affect the people around us. Otherwise, we're wasting our time. And we we can see the scripture uh, giving us this sequence. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that reveals the intimacy we have with God the Father, the Creator. And the next verse, verse 27, then says, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism, baptism, good word, 29th, put it in your diary, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. And that speaks of the closeness that we have with Jesus, our Son, God's Son, our Lord and our Saviour. And so both of these verses, verses combined lead to the next verse, which is 28, which says there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Now this tells me that unity should not just exist between us and Jesus and us and God the Father, but us and everybody else. There's no difference between different races, different social stratas, and different genders. Ooh. Somebody's itching to put their hand up. But there are differences, there are differences. Viva la difference. That's not what we're talking about here. It's actually a message that flows out of our deep relationship with God to bring a unity amongst Christians to actually be able to interact with each other. Now, unity does not mean the same. We often think that to be unified means that we've all got to look the same. We've all got to do the same thing. We've got to pray the same way. Unity is not homogeneity. Who's ever got a carton of milk and noticed that on the side it says homogenized? You ever thought what that meant? Some people just think because milk comes in cartons and not from cows these days, from what I've heard, that homogenised is, is just a, a, a process it goes through, which is true. But really all it does is mean that you can't tell the difference between the milk and the cream. Because when I was a young lad, many years ago, we used to get, actually our milk was delivered in a saucepan. We used to put a saucepan out in the front step and they, you'd come along with a milk churn and just put how much milk we wanted in the, in the saucepan put the lid on. I lived in a country town. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> and then they brought these newfangled things called milk bottles. And they used to come with a little gold seal on the top of the milk bottle. And when you got the milk bottle inside, the top four, a quarter of it, or perhaps a bit less, was cream. And so you'd, you'd put your thumb in the seal, you'd, you'd peel the seal off, and you'd carefully pour the cream on your cereal. And then when everybody else came to breakfast, they'd go, Oh, you stole the cream. I wanted the cream. That's true. And I used to do the same when I wasn't first for breakfast. Anyway, what was the... P-? Homogenised. <laughs> we're not called to be homogenised milk. Some of, I won't say some of us... No, let's not go there. Uh, but we're allowed to be different. It's not all about being the same, but it's actually about being unified in our purpose. Because... The gospel actually has radical social implications. It means that we are Christians before we are anyone or anything else. It means that all the barriers that separate people in the world into warring factions come down in Christ. Now, notice—I'll no, talk about that later. It doesn't mean there's any no longer any distinction in the church. I mean, we have this word that runs around at the moment called discrimination. And people would have you believe that discrimination is a bad word. If you're a person who is discriminatory, then you are automatically evil. And yet discrimination just means being able to discern between one thing and another. It's how you act on that discrimination that determines whether you're doing the right thing or not. And we are actually called to be discriminatory. If we couldn't tell, you know, um, up or down on a light switch, how would we know how to turn lights on? There there are all sorts of things. We've got to be discriminating people. We've got to know the difference between mouldy cheese and cheese that's off. We've got to know the difference between meat that's got... I mean, if you smell, you know, a steak that's been lying out in the sun for a raw one, for couple of hours you should be able to discriminate and say well I'm not eating this because it's gone off. Uh, Discrimination can save your life and so we're not called to be all the same, we're not called to forget about our differences and not offend anybody saying well we're all exactly the same, there's no such thing as male and female. Some countries have gone to that extreme. In Sweden uh, no government literature that you find ever mentions male or female, it's persons. There are no women in Sweden and there are no men. Their population is dropping rapidly. (laughs) Um, And to me, that's ridiculous. They've tried to achieve unity by homogeneity. They're trying to make everybody the same. Because guess what? That's the easy way. If everybody's the same, it's easy to be unified. Because there's no difference between us. You know, we could get up, Brendan could get up next week... And he could preach the fact that red hair is best and that we've all got to go and get red hair. And, there, we, and he'd feel a lot better because we'd all be the same. We wouldn't have any arguments about rangers or... Um, uh, yeah, all, this sort of, all this discrimination against red-haired people would vanish. But the thing is, that's not what Paul is saying here. This isn't what Jesus wants us all to look and be the same. He wants us to be able to see the differences and say, it doesn't matter. So, so it doesn't mean that there's no distinction between male and female in the way we live because Paul, we know that Paul teaches on this uh, in Ephesians and in, in Colossians. Uh, there are no gender samenesses that he's talking about and the, the same goes for different cultures, different classes and different genders. We are not all identical or interchangeable but we are all one. So Paul picks up on the three barriers that usually divide people. First one, of course, is the cultural barrier. He says, neither Jew nor Greek. Now, in our church, I'm not sure we actually have any Jews. Do we have any Greeks? No. Rats, we're not a New Testament church. (laughs) But we have several other cultural differences. Can I get... Chris, can you come out here for me? Um... Is Mina here? Is, is Lulu here. She's out the back. Okay, you'll you'll do instead of Lulu. Uh, Marella, can you? And uh, George. Now here we have four different people from four different cultural backgrounds, and. <laughs> They, they, I'm pretty sure they can. They can actually speak four different languages. Now, I'm, not, I'm going to test this. I'm going to ask you to translate something for me into your native tongue. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah. Okay. We'll have Chris first. So, just translate this for me. God loves everyone. Uh, whether they're male or female uh, what social status they have uh, and or, or what race they are Sorry. or, or what, na- <laughs> what, what nationality they are uh, uh, okay, you can hand that to Mina so, <laughs> well done uh, God loves everyone. Robert uh, Hebel uh, what was it? No matter what. No matter what their gender. Yes, yeah. you're translating my son. Oh, okay. oh good. Excellent. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, their social status? <laughs> or their race? <laughs> right. God loves everyone. Deus ama a todos. Whatever their gender. Uh, independente do, do sexo. Uh, their social status. Uh, independente do estado social. Or their race. Or da raça. Right. Excellent. <laughs> so, yeah. God loves everyone. Dio ama tutti. Men and women. Um, <laughs> a tutti. Oh, every, is that everyone? <laughs> um, rich or poor? A tutti. <laughs> of any race? <laughs> uh, tutti razzi. Excellent. Great stuff. <laughs> actually, just stay here. Um, now, th- these people, uh, th- the fact that they speak different languages is, is, is actually just an, an indicator, but they come from a lot of different social and cultural uh, variations, if you like, and they have come to this country, Australia. Now, except morella who was born here. Um, but her, her mother came, and father came, came from Italy. And, and I'm the same. I, I actually came from another country as well. Uh, I, was born in, I was born in London. <laughs> so I, I don't, unfortunately, have a Cockney accent. Um, and I've never been any good at an English accent. Um, Nobody can understand me if if I ever go back there. Oh, I don't need that one. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the things that that we notice is that to actually communicate, um, people tend to learn English when they come, and that helps us all communicate. But one thing that we shouldn't expect, and in fact one thing we should celebrate, and, and it has happened with a lot of cultures, uh, particularly Italian and middle Eastern and, and even chinese cultures i 'm not quite so sure how much of our culinary um, background is comes from South America, but you know Italian food has made huge inroads into Australian culture yeah. um, so what 's south give me some quick like, yeah. oh okay south yeah North no North yeah i mean we 're talking Brazil here, not okay, mexico That's <laughs> <low there. laughs> no no. Oh. Th- <laughs> Well, now we don't want to be careful here, um, but you know, Middle Eastern food uh, is uh, you know. Um, uh, what are those, what are those um, round things that we have? Falafels, um, kibbeh, kibbeh. Oh, that. Oh, yes, had had some of that. Yes, um, and and gyros, um, uh, hummus, and and that's Greek. Well, similar things, but yeah. And Chinese food, of course, is. Is dominant in, in, our, in our culture and the, there are all sorts of things that when, when we incorporate people from other cultures into our society we actually want to make sure they maintain their cultural differences because the Bible isn't saying be of one culture the, the, whole, the whole argument of Galatians is that some people wanted all the Greeks to be like Jews because it's easier that way we want to actually make sure that when we have cultures that mingle with that with, in Australia, that we make sure that we let people know that they, they've got to be proud of their culture, that we are one in Christ, but we are many different variations of that. And so this is what Paul is saying. We need to embrace people, and we need to make sure that they feel... I mean, I, I know that... I'm telling tales out of school a bit here. But Mina is... is It's got a heart for the Arabic community here in South Australia. And the problem with a lot of people in the Arabic community is that they haven't made connections in our community. And you see, Mina and Lulu have come here and they want to be that that pivot point. In fact, I I see you both a bit like a slingshot. you get people in it and they're connecting with people who are going in, in the wrong direction. And they stick them in their slingshot and they whirl them around and they fling them in God's direction. And I believe that this is your your ministry here. You're there almost as a corner post to grab people and swing them around and point them in God's direction. Because that's, I I see you either a slingshot or an anchor. I'm not sure which it is, but you're solid there and you're actually swinging people around in the direction of Christ. And that's your ministry. You, you, see, I I see a lion. And, And not because of the hair. It's the, heart, it's the heart of the lion. You see, lions are brave without thinking it through. Now, don't be rude here. And the, the thing about lions is, is they see that, that attitude in them. They won't give up. They know what they want and they're going for it. And I see that in you. That you're, you're, God sees you as a lion. You are there who are strong, stable, and you are not going to back down. You are not going to give up on what you believe in. And you, have you ever heard the term wolf in sheep's clothing? Because that, that's not a good thing. But I, I, see, I see George as a sheep in wolf's clothing. You see, he goes out into the corporate and the business world, and he's a he's lamb of God. But he has to put on the, the clothes of a wolf. And I see God has designed you to be a wolf, but you've got to remember inside you're a sheep. You're a lamb of God. And you... <laughs> you know, Abraham was the father of many nations. I see you as the mother of many workplaces. And no, that, I mean, we laugh at that, but people's lives have been changed by the heart that Morella has to see people placed in, a, in, a, in some place where their, their potential and their, and their abilities are actually used, and that they. It's amazing. But no, you, don't need, you need to stand. Come on, shoulders back, head up. See, did you know that you believe what you see? If you, if you look at the ground all the time, that's all you see. If you lift your head, you'll see God sees that in you. And each of those characteristics is what God is calling you guys to actually step out and do. They're not accidental. God plans our lives. And so the, these, are the, these are the things I believe God has planned for you and, and for our church. And we all need to embrace that. We need to see that we don't have all the same skills as these guys, but we have our own. And while we need to encourage and celebrate what what is happening with these guys we need to do the same in our own lives and not try to be the same as somebody else but rise up in our own potential come on give them a hand thanks guys you can be seated you see cultural divisions have no part in the church of Christ but cultural differences have every right to be here. So people of one culture do not need to become like another culture in order to be accepted by God. So we should accept one another without one group feeling or declaring the superiority of its cultural ways over another, unless it's cooking. No, no, that's, that's, not, it. that's not in here. But I, I believe that food wars are a good thing. As long as I'm invited, I'm prepared to be a judge on any, any food judging panel that you care to name. So I just thought I'd put that out there. Inside the church, we should associate with and love one another across racial and cultural barriers. The second thing Paul talks about, he says, neither slave nor free. And so, again, economic stratification or differences in social status should not exist or extend into the church. People should not associate with, as they do in the world, according to class. You know, they talk about white-collar workers, blue-collar workers... Green collar workers, I don't know, with the colour scheme today, it, I'm not sure it counts, but, um, but we need to make sure those barriers disappear. Inside the church, modestly or poorly paid people mustn't be made to feel imp- inferior to those who earn more. And on the opposite end of the scale, you know, millionaires who walk into our church shouldn't be shunned because they earn more money. I, mean, I saw... a A Facebook post, interesting sign uh, in front of a cafe that talked about the importance of buying local. And it said something about the fact, when you buy local produce and and attend local shops, you are not buying a company CEO his third holiday house. You are buying little Johnny uh, his uh, school fees and talked about family things, basically. And while I wholeheartedly agree with that premise... The big mistake I think that that person made was they made their own position better by bagging somebody else. Because you know, the, whole I- the whole idea that CEOs of companies are all people who are bought on their fourth holiday home and don't work for it and are rich because they happen to luck a good job, is rubbish. 90% of people who have more money than me worked harder than me to get it. And that's why they've got it. And uh, so I want them in my church to tithe. Um, LAUGHTER I'll repent of that later. The third and possibly the most controversial barrier that Paul talks about is the gender barrier. Neither male nor female. Now, in Paul's time, that was a horrendous barrier. Women were actually considered absolutely to be inferior to men. That was like, duh. Everybody knew that. It was a fact. Or a factoid, as we'd probably call it now. But e- even today, the application of this principle is is explosive and controversial. Yeah, we, we hear things about what we consider normally a rational practice of two people doing the same job but they're of a different gender and one getting paid more than the other. And we, th- we think, how can that happen? But there is inequality in these things. It shouldn't happen in the church. Now, we've also got to be careful that we don't assign equality for equality's sake. I mean, I don't know whether you've noticed, but over the last 12 months, I think um, on all but two occasions this year, the preaching's been done by men. Uh, Sharon uh, Murphy preached one Sunday, and Carmen preached a Sunday. Kirsty, you haven't preached this year, have you? No, it's coming. (laughs) And you might think, well, hang on the church is patriarchal here because there's a gender imbalance in in, in the preaching. Ten years ago, I was the only male preacher in the church and there were four other women preaching alongside of me. Well, we didn't actually do it side by side, but you know what I mean. And it just so happens that you use who you've got. And it's not about trying to make everything equal. It's about making sure that you... Use use the people who are available, no matter what their gender. There's there's all sorts of things. Equality is a a weird thing. I mean, Vicky and I are equal in God's eyes, and hopefully in society's eyes, but there are some things we're very unequal about. Vicky is hopeless at getting things off high shelves. (laughs) Because she is shorter than me. And she always asks me to do it, which makes me feel superior because she's a shorty. (laughs) So we practice apartheid in our home. Now, see, that's a difference. But it doesn't actually make me superior. If you were going shopping for anything and you wanted to make sure you got the best value for money you could, I don't care whether it's food, clothing, furniture, furniture, whatever it is, you would not take me. Because I would, I would break your budget. But Vicky would get you what you wanted, possibly better than what you wanted, and take you home with change in your pocket. Well, change in her pocket, no? Oh. <laughs> um, now, in some ways, shopping-wise, I feel inferior. But I cover that up by pretending I don't like shopping. Shopping. Actually, I don't like shopping, so I'm quite happy that she's a superior shopper. Um, But see, there are differences. But we don't judge each other based on the differences in our abilities. Um, We might make jokes sometimes about women shopping and shoes and and things like that. But it's, it's it's a difference. But it doesn't actually alter who we are in God's eyes and our abilities to do what God wants us to do. So... It's not about making people the same. It's actually making sure that their differences don't affect their value. Because it doesn't in God's eyes. And if we've got a relationship with God, then it shouldn't in our eyes as well. The freedom of the gospel has to change our attitude towards everything in life. But you see, broader social change is not Paul's message. A lot of people use the gospel message to say, well, this is what Jesus said. This is what Paul said. We need to change our society now. Paul isn't actually after that. The implications for societal change are there in what he says. But guess who has to carry them out? Uh, We do. And guess how long it's going to take? A long time. Because the change has to come from within us. I mean, in Paul's day... The family owned property and the father died. Guess who inherited? The eldest son. And he was the only one that inherited. It was called the uh, process of primogeniture. Which is a fancy word to saying that the eldest son got everything. Now here, Paul talks about the fact that we are heirs in Christ, equal. Man, woman, slave, owner, whatever. Whatever. So he is actually planting the seeds of social change. But he's not saying abolish slavery. He's not saying abolish the law of primogeniture. He's saying if you hold to these things, you are going to change your personal life. You're going to get Christian families who who when the father dies, he's going to have written a will saying, I want to divide my property equally between my kids. He's not going to force somebody else to do it. But the fact that he's done it is going to make people sit up and take notice. And other Christians in that era might start doing the same thing and suddenly other people take notice. And over the centuries we've discovered that that law has vanished but not because Paul said abolish that law. Slavery has disappeared but not because Paul said free the slaves. He said change our attitude toward other people and we will change our attitude towards slavery. The really sad thing is that there are more slaves in the world today than there were in Paul's time. So we've still got some work to do here. Paul's main point is this radical equality is for those who are in Jesus Christ. Put your hand up if that's you. Uh, I'll give you a hint. Everybody put their hand up. (laughs) The implications for the broader society are just that implications. They have to work themselves out over years, but it does mean we have to stick at what we believe. And only these kinds of truths, the ones Paul's t- talking about in verses 26 to 27, lead to the kind of unity that is powerful enough to affect social change. So, how do they do it? First of all, the good news of the gospel creates unity. The privileges we get in the gospel, the sonship, which is in verse 26, there's the spirit that we get in verse 14, there's perfect righteousness, which is back in verse 10, and it's all because of our union with Jesus Christ, which he talks about in verse 27. This is the good news. The idea of being sons and daughters of Christ is so stupendous, so exciting, so thrilling. Really good. Yeah, thanks. Um, Okay, I'm going to have to preach this again next week. How can you look down on somebody who is clothed in Christ? Why would you ever be jealous of anybody else when you're a son or a daughter of God? What could be better? So that's the good news of the gospel. There's also bad news. The bad news of the gospel creates unity. What's he on, you're saying? Well, what's the bad news? Well, the bad news is as recipients of grace, we know that our blessings are unearned. There's nothing we can do to earn them, which is bad news for most of us because we like to think we're pretty good at earning stuff. So, our pride in our race, our pride in our social status, Our pride in our gender is all nothing to God. In fact, he's at work to try and knock down that pride as fast and as far as he can. And that's the bad news. We've got to... What's the the word when you disassemble things? Deconstruct ourselves. Very popular postmodern thing to do. You deconstruct something. Most of it's a waste of time, but in this case it's not. We know we're sinners like everyone else. There's no reason for us to think of ourselves as better than or exclude others. And we're we're sinners adopted by grace. Our job is to find other people to adopt. Every verse of this section stretches our horizons, filling our hearts, hopefully to bursting point, with all that we are through faith. Verse 26 reaches upwards. We are sons of the Creator when I say sons, remember what I said last week? Sonship implies the heir. So we are sons of God in that we are heirs of the Creator. Verse 28 spans the globe. We're united with every single other Christian. One in Christ, regardless of anything that the world suggests, should divide us. Verse 29 is our history. By clothing ourselves with Christ through faith, we become Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promises. All that God promised Abraham he has fulfilled and will fulfill in his son Jesus. And so all that God promised we will enjoy as his adopted children. There's some powerful stuff there. and We need to step up to the plate. We need to actually stop groveling in the shadows and recognize that we've been placed in a position that is so privileged and yet so humbling that we have the sonship of Jesus Christ and yet if we look at ourselves, we are sinners like every other single person inside this room, outside, on the street, everywhere. We are no different. But we have been adopted without deserving it, without earning it into a position of privilege, a relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ his son where we can actually change the world if we're brave enough to do it. The first step to changing the world is that relationship to clothe ourselves with Christ. If we can't do that, the rest of it will never happen. Turns out to be a good idea, not a God idea. We're doing it in our strength. I mean, who knows that to generate the sort of empathy and love to to love a population... It's impossible to do. I mean, most people can't do it with their own family. I mean, who here, who here is in a rela- committed relationship? Hands, hands right up high. Who here has never argued with their significant other? <laughs> I mean, do you love your significant other? This is just the right answer, Yes. What chance has the world got if we can't always agree with the people we love, never mind the people we either don't know or hate their guts? And yet this is what we're called to do. If it's going to be in our strength, we might as well just go home, forget church. We can't do it. But in God's strength, when we are clothed with Christ, that is when our abilities come to the fore. That is when we can actually change the world without having to be perfect people. It should be a bloody relief to all of you. Because we're not and never will be. We're not and never will be. Repeat after B. I am not perfect. perfect. And I never will be. be. Again, I am not perfect. perfect. And I never will be. 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 But God loves me anyway. anyway. You need to have that as a mantra because most of us sit there and think, I'm waiting till I'm good enough to do what God wants me to do. I'm waiting till I've got it all together. I'm waiting till my prayer life is in line with what God wants. I'm waiting until I've actually read Ecclesiastes. I'm waiting till I've read Leviticus. Some people could be waiting an awful long time. I've read the first three pages of Leviticus. I actually have read the rest, but it's what you call skim reading. He begat, yes, I know what happens at the end. Uh. But if we wait for those things, if we wait, you know, I, I know there are some people who are waiting to come to prayer until they feel that they'd be less embarrassed or they're, they'd be, they're holier. You know, I would love to see, and, and if, if you don't come to prayer on Wednesday nights, don't feel bad. I'll feel bad for you, because that's my job. Because my heart sinks when only five people turn up to prayer. Hasn't happened for a while, so I'm pretty happy. Um, but I recognise that attendance on Sunday is great. I love it that you guys are here to hear the message. But the thing is that what drives our church is not my messages, I know this because I've looked on iTunes and SoundCloud to see how many people listen. And if I had a big ego, I'd be depressed. (laughs) But the thing is that prayer is what drives the church. Prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is an example of unity. We come together. And I've noticed that not everybody in a prayer meeting prays the same. Some people I'm really jealous of. I come and I think, that was really good. I'm going to try and copy that one. It never comes out the same. Other people come and they're hesitant and they're, fr- they're frightened. And guess what? doesn't matter. Their prayers are just as powerful. And sometimes the, you know, people who are, are hesitant but are, uh, sort of passionate about what they believe in can say five words and have the whole place sort of drenched in the Holy Spirit rather than somebody who's an expert and, and speaks for 20 minutes and everybody's fallen asleep. I promise I won't do that next time. Um, <laughs> But, but it's, it's things like that. If we wait till we think we're ready, we'll be waiting forever. We need to get involved. We need to do what we can for, for Jesus and his church. We need to believe that if Jesus accepts us where we are, then everybody else has to. It's not, it's not an option. It's not like saying, well, I know Jesus accepts me, but I'm not sure about Barry <laughs> or Ashley or Mike. Mike. Mike can be really judgmental. I mean, I've not, he's got a list when he comes to prayer, he he's tick, cross, tick. No, he doesn't. No. Don't be afraid to come to prayer if Mike's there. It's not, it's not true. But the thing is, where was I going with that again? <laughs> it's a good story. Yeah, um, um, we, we're accepted by God, but we then th- worry about our acceptance by other people. And the thing is that it doesn't matter. If we are accepted by God, then other people's opinion doesn't matter. And God will use a donkey if he has to. I'd rather we all came to prayer so that God didn't have to use a donkey. Because getting a donkey into Adelaide itself would be a hard thing to do. But getting us into our workplaces and our homes and our schools is not hard. So if he can use us, I I think so much the better. So the first step, we we have to recognise that it's God's opinion that counts. It's God who's adopted us. Sort of Jordan hasn't adopted me. And I haven't adopted Jordan. His mother has asked me numbers of times. <laughs> <laughs> so the, 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 the basis of all our Christian faith is our relationship with God. And so that's the first thing we've got to do. We've got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship doesn't involve religious activity. It actually re- involves the same thing a relationship with somebody else does. An invitation to meet and a continuation of being together. And so I want to invite you, if you're here this morning and you've never actually had an introduction to Jesus Christ, no matter how that appears in your mind, whether you've actually said a prayer, whether you've actually talked to people about Jesus or whatever, but if you've never said in a public arena, stood up and said, okay, I'm taking a stand, I'm drawing a line in the sand right now and I'm saying, I want to be involved with Jesus Christ I want to have a relationship with God and see where that's taking me then all that you need to do is to state I am accepting Jesus into my life into my heart I am rejecting all other gods all other worldly things and I'm going to say I'm going to become a Christ follower and that's all it takes the journey beyond that is exciting but you know what the famous Chinese proverb, the Journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. That's the first step that we've got to take. We've actually got to invite Jesus Christ into our heart, acknowledge him as our Saviour and also as our Lord. Do you know what acknowledging Jesus as the Lord means? Because we don't have many Lords here in Australia, and, that, and possibly not in Brazil or China or Italy or where was the other place? Um, United Arab Emirates, uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt. Um, Lebanon, Syria, any of those not too many lords so we we often don't understand the only phrase we have in the English language that most people hear is to lord it over someone which means to act high and mighty and tell them what to do in some ways that's correct if Jesus is lord of our life it means we listen to his instruction because he has instruction for us that is for our good and too many of us just want to do our own thing we're okay to have Jesus as our saviour because that's a really nice feeling. But to actually do what he tells us, it's un-Australian, surely. <laughs> but that's what of being a follower of Jesus is. We follow because he leads. So in all of that, what I want to do is give you an invitation. If you're here this morning and you have never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, then I'm going to ask everybody right now just to close their eyes, bow their heads if that's you I want you to let me know by lifting your hand into the air I'll acknowledge that I've seen that hand and we will pray together a prayer which invites Jesus into your life so if you have never done that before or perhaps you've you've done it ages ago and you've not walked that life of Jesus Christ being your Lord and Saviour then he always says come back he's not the God of the second chance he's the God of as many chances as you need to get your life right with him so if you've never done it or you wish to redo it then while nobody's looking around can I ask you lift your hand right now and I'll acknowledge that I see it and we can pray together to invite Jesus into your heart anyone at all Okay, can I get everybody, keep their, keep your eyes bowed. Everybody lift their hands. Now, just one. H- high as you can, come on. Don't worry if the other person, you haven't put the deodorant on. So a, you can put them down again. I'll no, just, okay. I was just getting you into practice, just so that you know what it's like. Because sometimes I, you sort of think, well, I, I don't know what he means. What does he mean to put that's what it is so next Sunday if you thought perhaps it was a bit scary this Sunday come next Sunday um, I think there'll be a less scary person preaching Um, and if he says that you all have to become redheads ignore him um, because that'll be Brendan and that's going to be an awesome awesome Sunday can't wait